So I think part of the reason those two songs just kind of got to me, um, I was thinking about what Al was saying too, and last Saturday night, my, oh, my third son um, goes to Cornerstone and runs there and does track and field and cross country. And uh, one of the reasons he went to Cornerstone was the coach. And he has a tremendous relationship with this coach. And he told him after the, the indoor meet last week that he was leaving and he had to leave by the end of this week. So it was an emotional week and Spencer said it was hard on the team and stuff. And uh, he uh, had a few opportunities to go around the coach and uh, gave him a hug and they both cried. And it's hard to watch your kids walk through things. So yesterday he had an indoor meet at Grand Valley and some really good teams there. And I couldn't be there. And I just wrote, I mean, he, he wrote, Spencer and I were talking earlier and just said, I've had a hard week, practice has been tough, I'm not running good. And I just wrote, I just wrote back, run for God's glory. And I just left it at that. He didn't respond. Um, Stacy live streamed it, so I got to watch it. He had a phenomenal race. He texted back later that evening, and all he wrote is he said, I ran for God's glory and no one else. And, uh, to watch your kids get it, and then to have a race like that and be one of the fastest time, his fastest time ever, one of the faster times that Cornerstone had in that event, I just sit there and praise God that he is worthy. No matter what we're doing, we're talking about being generous. It can be with whatever talent God's given you, whatever time he's given you to use, and whatever resources that he's given you as well. So we are in our, well, before we even do that, I'm going to pause. Jose and Alyssa are here. I saw you guys walk in. You want to stand up and give us an introduction of a, a new family member? <laughs> Perfect. I threw him on the spot. So. Yeah, very well. We went there about two, a week after the surgery, and I said, I think, uh, I think she could have run a marathon. <laughs> All right, stand back up. We got we to gotta see this little one. There we go. <laughs> so congratulations. We're very happy for you and want to walk alongside you as a church. All right, so back to it. We are in our series on generous. It's a four-week series. This is part three. So hopefully you've heard the first two. If not, I recommend you uh, find them online. And we're exploring how a God who, who has open hands pours his blessings out on us on so many ways so that we can be a blessing. No other reason. So that we can be a blessing. And we're looking at three different areas specifically. How we can be, uh, uh, how we can be generous with our time, with our talent, and with our, our treasures. So this morning, we're going to focus on the last one, the treasures, and more specifically, just our money and tithing. So there were two men who were shipwrecked off the coast of a small island in the South Pacific. It was just the two of them alone. Nobody else on the island. There was one palm tree and sand everywhere. And one of the men starts to go berserk. And he starts running around this small island, waving his hands. Nobody's going to find us. We, we're going to die on this island. And he's freaking out. And he goes back to the middle of the island where the tree is, and he finds his buddy, 
sound asleep, relaxing by the tree. And this really bugged him. So he walks over there and he wakes him up and, how can you do this? We are in the middle of nowhere and we are going to die and we have no food and nobody's ever going to find us. His friend pauses for a few moments and then just very quietly says, I make $10,000 a week. And the other guy's like, what does that have to do with anything? You don't have access to it. It doesn't matter. Why are you telling me this? And the man just very gently and calmly says, because I tithe, and my pastor will find me very soon. There is an assumption in churches that any time we begin to talk about money or finances that the pastors are after your wallet. I told Pastor Dennis when he walked in, we're talking about finances, he grabbed his wallet. <laughs> so that's, that's what the sign. But let me be clear right away. I am not after your wallet. I am after your heart for God. And we, we talked about this last week. God doesn't just want your money. He wants all of you. He wants every last part. He wants your heart. He wants you to be totally surrendered to him in every area. And my job as a pastor is to preach the whole counsel of God's word. And as a bunch of Jesus followers, we need to be aware that following Jesus well means absolutely total surrender of our lives. To the sense that there is nothing in our lives that does not come underneath the authority of God. Following Jesus well means we've laid everything before God, and including our relationships, our struggles, our, our sin, our communication, our marriages, our children, our ability to run, our whatever we do, even our finances. But often we only submit to Christ where it's comfortable or where it's easy. We may not say it, but we often live like Christ can have every part of me but I want to hold on to this one part. So it reminds me of a cartoon that I saw recently. This man is getting baptized, and he's holding his wallet above the water. I'm sure he doesn't want it to get wet, but there's, there's a amazing lessons with this. What are you holding above the water in your walk with Christ? There's typically something in our lives that we tend to hold above the water. For many, the one thing it is, is our hard-earned dollar. When we come to church, we are expecting to hear some very biblical truths. We want to be in the Word of God. We want to hear about Jesus. We want to know, okay, I'm in a sin. What do I need to do? And we hear these truths. We, we expect to have very specific examples of how to live a redemptive life for Christ. But then why do we get uncomfortable when we start talking about the money as we walk through the Word of God? Why does that all of a sudden raise the level of anxiety in our life? So today, as candidly as I can, as a fellow brother in Christ, I want to open up the Word of God, and I want to show you what God expects of being generous with our treasures. 
So the main point this morning can be summarized from Proverbs 3, verse 9. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Read that with me. Honor God with everything you own. Give him the first and the best. If you use that as a measuring stick for your life, how are you doing? Honestly, in every area, how are you doing? In the area of finances, how are you doing? So I want to look at three things this morning as, as we talk about being generous with our treasures, especially our money. The Old Testament concept of, of giving routinely through tithing. Then we'll talk about the New Testament and the perspective Jesus brings to the dialogue. And then at the end, I want to give you four proactive tips that will help us right now to get from where we are to where we get where we want to go in this journey of being generous with our finances. So let's pray. So Father, we're going to do a walkthrough of your word today. God, give us wisdom and insight. I pray that we don't shut down but that we, we listen to the, what your word has to say, and then we adjust our lives accordingly. So, Father, may it just not be me speaking, but your Holy Spirit speaking through me, because I want my words to be your words. May it come out of a heart that is beating after you. So, Father, thanks for everyone that's here this morning. Thank you for being a generous God to us. Now, bless the readings of your word as we study that this morning. In your precious name, amen. So money and possessions are the second most referenced topic in the Bible. Money is mentioned more than 800 times in the scriptures. The Bible is the ultimate financial guide. What do you, what do you think are the, the, uh, the, the one above money? What's topics more? Okay, give it the top five topics. Throw a couple out. So we've got money and possessions. What else? Fear? No, that make top ten, top five. Love. The topic of love, the word love, is probably number one. Hell, second coming, and then the heart. The heart. The treasure of, of your heart. So as we jump into this conversation with both feet, we cannot have this conversation without talking about this strange word called tithe or, or, or tithing. Even though money's mentioned 800 times in the money and possessions, over 800 times, this word is only mentioned about 14 times in the Bible, depending on your translation. And majority of those references are in the Old Testament. We do see the word tithe, at least my translation was mentioned twice in the New Testament, but usually in reference to something from the Old Testament. However, the idea of tithe is all the way through the scriptures. So what is it? We, we say it's giving 10%, but 10% of what? Is 10% biblical? And, and does the Bible really say I should give 10%? And if the Bible says I'm required to give it, then whatever happened to the freedom we have in Christ? And when I tithe, is it on the gross or is it on the net? Do I give it just to the church or do I give it anywhere? So there's lots of questions when this word tithe pops off. But tithe very simply means one-tenth. 
one-tenth. So here's a quote um, I heard that has described tithing over the years. And I was talking to Paul Hefner. Every Wednesday, Paul and I kind of walk through the sermon and get some ideas. But he, he mentioned this, and I, 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 I've heard this many times. Giving God everything and then having God give you 90% back. God owns it all. And you're giving him everything, all of it. And then God's like, here, enjoy 90% of it. So the first time that we see this word tithe in the Old Testament is in the book of Genesis, chapter 14. I'm going to have a lot of the references on the screen in the Old Testament. And then when we get to the New Testament, we'll flip to some passages. So in this passage, Abraham's nephew Lot had been captured in war. So Abram wants to go rescue him, and he mobilizes 318 of his, of his best men. And they go and they capture Lot and rescue him, and then they capture their armies and a lot of their resources. And on their way back to where they came from, they come across Melchizedek, and we pick up what it says in verse 18. And Melchizedek, the king of Salem and the priest of God Most High, brought Abram some bread and wine. Melchizedek blessed Abram with this blessing. Blessed be Abram by God's Most High, creator of heaven and earth. And blessed be God Most High, who has defeated your enemies for you. Then Abram gave Melchizedek a tenth, a tithe, of all the goods that he had recovered. The word tithe just kind of pops up. It's the first time we see it in the, the word of God. And there's really no explanation of it at all. But we need to pay attention because it's, when you're studying the Word of God, the first time you see a principle, it, it's known as the principle of first reference. And even if it doesn't flesh it out, you got to say, ooh, there's a concept that God wants me to understand. And then as you go through the Word of God, you start, okay, here he talks about it again. Here he talks about it again. And he fleshes it out. So we learn just a few things from, from this, but very little that will be fleshed out later. So what I want to do to flesh it out is I want to look at three ties that are mentioned in the Old Testament and two offerings that are mentioned in the Old Testament. There's other offerings and stuff, but I want to do a flyover of those five types of givings. So the f let me just let me back up. When I'm talking Old Testament, it's before Jesus. So as you're sitting here, Old Testament, New Testament, we're going to hear the word, we're going to hear the Old Covenant, New Covenant, Old Testament, Old Covenant, before Jesus, New Covenant, Jesus, New Testament. So I just want to cl clarify that as we move forward. So the first tithe required by God in the Old Testament to his people, not to the general population, but for his people, the Israelites, is called the Lord's Tithe. Or in some places it's called the Levite's tithe. Or even the, the first tithe. It was a 10% tithe of all the produce in the land. 10% of whatever they harvested from their land. And 10% of their animals. And it was given to the Levites. So the, 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 the Levites were, de, were, were, were descendants of Aaron. And they were from the, the Levite tribe. And God had appointed that tribe to kind of work in the temple and to take care of his church there, his, his temple and, and the sacrifices and all that. But they didn't earn an income. They didn't have their own flocks. They didn't have their own animals. So he's telling those that did to bring it to the church, to care for that. 
And it's 10% based on a core value, a core belief of the Old Testament. And we hear that belief echoed all through the Old Testament. I forgot to put it on the screen, but here's one example. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Not just some, everything in it. So we read about this tithe in Leviticus 27, 30, and 32. One-tenth of the produce of the land, whether grain from the fields or fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord, everything, and must be set apart to him as holy. So they're setting apart. Even though he owns it all, they're setting apart 10%. And then in verse 32, count off every tenth animal from your herds and flocks and set them apart for the Lord as holy. Now, I had a dream of being a farmer. Most of you know that. And one way that I had an opportunity to get into dairy farming when I was out of college was a farmer. I worked for him, and he gave me every tenth heifer that was born. Kind of a biblical principle. A biblical principle. So even if they didn't own the land, if they were just working the land, they still had to set that 10% apart. The idea of giving 10% away was not only out of obedience because God was commanding it, but an expression of humility and worship, as if to say, I give a portion of this stuff, my resources, away to resist the illustration that it's all mine, that all of it is mine, that I created it, that I allowed it to grow and did what I needed to do, but it belongs to God. So I'm going to give them a portion of it, the land and the animals. But that's not the only 10% of the Old Testament. The second one is called the festival tithe, or, or it's known as the second tithe sometimes. And this was another 10% on top of the first 10%. We read about it in Deuteronomy chapter 12. But you will soon cross the Jordan River. So he's given this instructions to them before they come into their the promised land. But you assume cross the Jordan River and live in the land the Lord your God has given you. When he gives you rest from all your enemies and you're living safely in the land, you must bring everything I command you, your burnt offerings, your sacrifices, your tithes, your sacred offerings, and your offerings to fulfill a vow to the designated place of worship, the place the Lord your God chooses, chooses for his name to be honored. The purpose of the festival tithe was that it was given so that every year they could have a festival to celebrate what God had brought them through. So it was kind of like a remembrance. They would gather in communities. They would gather in villages and families with the express purpose of remembering and throwing a festival. So let's get our heads around that just for a few moments. A mandatory tithe for his people to have a party. Okay? Nowadays, that's known as a, a kind of a coverage charge tithe. We force it. They gave it willingly. And if you do the math, we're up to 20% of our ancient brothers and sisters' resources and tithes given back to the Lord. But there's more. The third tithe that was required of these people. In addition, this is called the poor tithe or the third tithe. And we see in Deuteronomy chapter 14. 
At the end of every third year, bring the entire tithe of that year's harvest and store it in the a lot, sorry. Store it in the nearest town. Give it to the Levites who will receive no allotment of land among you, as well as to the foreigners living among you, the orphans, the widows in your towns, so they can eat and be satisfied. Then the Lord your God will bless you in all of your work. So another tithe, but it's every third year, so it's another 3.3% every year. Now we're up to 23.3% of someone's total resources, income, required to give back to God. Why? Because this is what his people did to identify themselves with God. They were not only circumcised, but by their giving back to God. God, you own everything. We're your people. We're going to give back, and you're going to care for the temple and those around. It showed that they were people of faith. And in addition to those three ties, there's some offerings, and I want to just hit two of them. One is the gleaning offering, and it's found in Leviticus 19, 9 through 10. When you harvest the crops of your land, do not harvest the grain along the edges of your fields, and do not pick up what the harvesters drop. It is the same with your grape crop. Do not strip every last bunch of grapes from the vines, and do not pick up the grapes that fall to the ground. Leave them for the poor and the foreigners living among you. I am the Lord your God. You see, after all these kind of requirements, I am the Lord your God. I, you belong to me. This is beautiful. The people who owned the land, worked the land, gleaned from the land, were instructed to leave someone on the edges for those that had no hand in raising the crops. We, we see this illustrated in the book of Ruth, where Naomi and Ruth uh, benefit from this gleaning offering from the fields of Boaz. They were in desperate situation. There's a famine, and they harvest around that. And I love the image here. Those that were on the very edges of life were cared for and not neglected by God and his people. God instituted this, and he's like, my people will be different. They will be known for being generous. Are we known for being generous as followers of Jesus? It did not amount too much to the landowner, maybe 2%, 1% of their crops, but when you add that to what they've already given, we're up to about 25% of their resources. But wait, there's more. The offerings of first fruits. This is referenced in Leviticus 23, 9 through 11. Then the Lord said to Moses, Give the following instructions to the people of Israel. When you enter the land I'm giving you and you harvest its first crops, Bring the priest a bundle of grain from the first cutting of your grain harvest. On the day after the Sabbath, the priest will lift it up before you, before the Lord, so it may be accepted on his behalf. Before they kept anything to themselves, they would give God the first, the best. And that number percentage varied, but a lot of scholars say it could be up to another 5 to 10 percent. We're talking 30 plus percent of their resources given to the God. I mean, as I added these up, that's crazy. But the beauty of these tithes and offerings is that they were given with one purpose. 
to celebrate the sheer joy of belonging to God. God owns everything, and he's provided for me, and I belong to him, and I just want to give. An offering out of sheer joy of belonging. The truth is, so many of us get it backwards. You want to go to the gym? Pay a membership. You want to be part of a club? Pay a membership. You have to give in order to belong. In God's kingdom, you belong, so you give. You tracking with me? Even those in the back? But often we cheat God. We cheat God in our giving. Listen to the last book of the Old Testament, Malachi 3, 8 through 9. Some people cheat God, yet you have cheated me. But you ask, what do you mean? When did we ever cheat you? You have cheated me of the tithes and offerings due to me. You are under a curse, for your whole nation has been cheating me. I don't want to cheat God. I want a heart that is generous. So what do we learn about the tithes from the Old Testament? Just a quick flyover. I told you that. 10% is a tithe. A tithe was, was a big deal to God. Giving showed that they belonged to God. God required it of his people. And more than 10% was required of this particular group, the Israelites. Up to 30 to 35% of their in income. And the tithe was usually given to the temple, set apart to a holy God. So now what do we do with that? We're people under the new covenant. Do you know what one of the temptations is when we hear that? We say, that's just Old Testament. Ancient traditions and ancient culture. That was them. That's not really applicable for us right now. And a lot of that is true right now. But God never changes. He still owns everything. We still belong to him. And our, our tendency is to say, no, 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 we'll just take our cues from the New Testament. We are, we're not under that law anymore. We take our cues from Jesus. Yes, we need to take our cues from Jesus in all areas of our life. But what we assume that, that when we take our cues from Jesus, the giving is this. Well, Jesus never talked about tithe or giving 10%, which is true. That Jesus is more grace-centered than law-centered. He's more about mercy than following the law, which is magnificently true. Jesus is more about, about our motive in giving. Not just technically how much we give, but we give from a cheerful heart. There's the heart again. And that is true as well. But you know what we sometimes do? We assume that because Jesus was critical and doesn't mention it, and he didn't like legalism, that we throw the baby out with the bathwater and say, we're done with that. But we have lessons that Jesus taught us. So turn with me to Luke 18, 10 through 14. Luke 18, 10 through, yeah, it's supposed to be 10. I'm actually going to start at 9, I think. Matthew, Mark, Luke. And I want you to hear Jesus' heart on our treasures. I'm going to read out of the, 
It's not going to be on the screen. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I am not like the other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like the tax collector. I fast twice a week and I give a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. I tell this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. No comments. Self-explanatory. So flip to Mark chapter 12. Flip backwards. Jesus is sitting in the temple with his disciples in the courtyard. And he's watching people as they give. So the passage in verse 41 of chapter 14, uh, chapter 12, I'm sorry. Then Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped their money. So he's sitting in the temple courtyard with his disciples. And in that courtyard, there's 13 boxes that are probably similar to this. This kind of just, they're not sure exactly what it looked like. But these were the collection box, and each had their own. It's a fascinating study what they were for. Different type of tithes and offerings. But you see on top, it's kind of like a shofar. So they call these things shofarats. And, and what, what would happen is people would give their money, and as the money went down, it would go down that funnel, and it would go clink, 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 all the way down. So the people that were given lots of money, you'd hear lots of noise. Clink, 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 clink. And those that were given little, it'd be clink. It would drop in there. And this is what Jesus referred to in Matthew chapter 6, verse 2. And it says this, This when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets. They may be praised by others. So when they're giving in this, when all that money is going through, it's like they're sounding their trumpet. So watch what Jesus does here. The, many rich people put in large amounts. They sounded their trumpet. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth, this poor widow has given more than all the others who were making contributions, for they gave a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. Two examples, right? Of what God saw here. We, stay, we, we look at stories like that and say, see, Jesus is about the heart. So, so I will give according to my heart. Yes, yes, and yes. Like last week in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we saw give in proportion to what you have. And we sometimes assume that Jesus rejects the Old Testament. But listen, Jesus also said this in Matthew 5, 17. Jesus didn't, he says, I did not come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. In other words, I didn't, come, I didn't come along to do away with the teaching of the Old Testament. I've come to fulfill it. Everything that was our standard, I'm not getting rid of it. I want to expand on it. 
For example, you heard it said, not murder. Old Testament, Ten Commandments. But I say to you, do not remain angry. He expanded on it. You've heard it said, do not commit adultery. Still a good idea. I say, don't even look upon someone as if you want to. He expands on it. It takes what's in place and he stretches it to encompass the whole heart, the whole life. He takes the Old Testament as a foundation and he builds on it. It's like when we're teaching our kids the, the, how to read. We didn't hand them the book Moby Book or Moby Dick and say, read it. We taught them A, B, C, and then the sounds, ah, ba, and then ch, ch. And then it forms words, and then it forms sentences, and then it forms paragraphs, and then they could read the whole story. But you need to start with the alphabet. Jesus approached the whole Old Testament, what was required of his people, as a place to start. And then he says, grow, watch what I'm going to do. And this conversation about giving and tithing, Jesus would do the same. He expands on it. Nowhere in the New Testament will you hear Jesus say, give 10% of your net or give 10% of your gross. We don't hear that. Instead, there are crazy things in, like in Luke chapter 3 when John the Baptist is out there and he says, if you have two coats, give one to the person that needs it. What percentage is that? 50%. Or, or Jesus... And, and, there's so many passages I could have gone to. But Jesus in Matthew 19 says this. If you want to be perfect, go and sell all your possessions. Give the money to the poor. And you will have treasures in heaven. Then come and follow me. What percentage is that? 100%. So pastor, you're telling me I need to sell all my stuff? No. No. If God's calling it to you to do it, Yes. I've known and read of people that have done that. I have great respect for them, and I am intrigued by them. But what Jesus is doing is the same thing he did with every other Old Testament law. He takes the law, and he moves us to the spirit of it. He requires a whole heart surrender to Christ. All of you inside of the offering plate, giving yourself to God. If Jesus does anything to this conversation of generosity, he changes the question from how much can I afford to give to how much do I dare keep to myself? Because he owns it all. And he wants all of you, your time, your talents, your treasures. Because when we recognize that Jesus owns all of us, every fiber, every cell, it changes the question. It changes the answer as well. So I want to I end with four suggestions that will infuse kind of some starting points, some conversations in your life to help you move from where you are to where you want to be. So the first one is, is going to use the acronym STEP. Start where you are. Some people have started a new exercise routine at the first of the year. You don't just jump right into running a 5K. You start where you're at. Nothing can be more Jesus than applying that to every part of our journey. Are you in a habit that needs to stop? 
Start where you're at and see how God wants you to work with this. But in the conversation on giving and tithing, some of us, some of you have been giving 10% of your gross for years. Some of you have been giving 10% of your net for years. Some less. Some tremendously more. Some don't have a clue because there's no plan. The first step is to start where you are. Go home today and have a conversation with your, with your spouse, with a friend, and, and just say, what does Jesus want us to give? What does this look like in the area of our finances? And then say, where do you want me to go? Ask yourself, God, what is it that you want me to give? And then talk to God about it. Start with the conversation. Talk to God about it. Have him show, show you where you want to go, where he wants you to go. Maybe you, you have to express same anxieties. God, I've got so much debt. God, I've, I've got these hardships. God, where do you want us to do? What do you want us to give? But the third, I think, is the most critical question. The most critical um, step. Embrace first fruits giving. So imagine your paycheck. You're holding it in your hand. Think of it as a bunch uh, of produce. Some of you, that's easy. Fruit, animals, the best. What percentage are you going to give off the top of that as your first fruit offering? Take that step to, to, to God. What is it that you want me to give? When we give our first fruits, it prioritizes what we're doing. It says, for the sheer joy of belonging to my heavenly Father, being in a relationship with him, I want to give. Now, I want to say something that might sound kind of unspiritual. Sometimes you've even got to consider it a bill. Now, that might not be a very attractive way to think about it, but what, what I mean is what, what we give God is more than a bill. It's more than something we have to. But when you take it right off the top, it's an extreme act of worship because then the rest of the week you're saying, okay, I prioritize this. Now I have to make sacrifices over here. So Stace and I, probably about four or five years ago, we, the first part of our giving comes right out of our checking account because we prioritize that as our first fruits. This is how much God's asking us to give. And then we give on top of that as well. It's very spiritual when you have to make sacrifices on what that looks like. Start where you are. Talk to God about it. Embrace first fruits, fruits offering and giving. And the last thing is to pledge. Why do we pledge? For accountability. To help us make decisions. Because when you, when you spend time talking about it and figuring it out and God convicts you and says this is what you want to do writing it down on a on a piece of paper or somewhere kind of cements it as there's accountability so I've, I've, I've we've been talking the last few weeks and we're going to end our generous series next week but I want you to take this card home and I want you to talk to your spouse or talk to a friend and I want you to figure out God what are you calling me to do and here's some of the questions. What is one way I will prioritize God's kingdom with my time? 
think about that. Dave shared an example of that this morning. Number two, how can I build up God's kingdom with my talents? That's different for every one of us. And number three, what is the next step God is calling me to take in my giving this year? Have an honest conversation of that. If it's going from 1% for 2%, great. If it's going from 10% to 15%, great. What is God asking you to do in your giving? But take this seriously. So you'll notice on the sheet there's two. I'd like you to rip it off and hang one of them somewhere in your house as a reminder. And the second half, I want you to either find an accountability person and give it to so that they can ask you the questions. Three months from now, they can say, so how are you doing in your giving? Or, if you want us as pastors to pray over it, and, look, and, 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 and every Monday we meet and we pray, and we're not judging, we're just, we're just taking these cards and we'll pray. Next week at the end of the service, we're going to have an altar time. And I'd love for you to come back with the second half and say, this is what God is asking me to put in this this is what I'm pledging. So step. Start where you are. Talk to God about it. Embrace first fruits giving. And then pledge. Now I want to end. I'm over. I told Dave I was going to be a little late today. But I want to end with you thinking about this one question or this one statement. Do, Jackson, you can come up here. Do you believe God? Do you believe God? In the book of Acts, Paul is on a boat. There you go. And he, just hold on to that for a minute. Paul is on a boat. They're in a massive storm. Everybody thinks they're going to die. An angel of the Lord comes to Paul and says, you're not going to die let the captain and stuff know, you're going to be shipwrecked, but you're not going to die. So Paul, it says, believed God. He believed God by faith. So he went and told the captain. It played out as the angel said it would happen. But the, what struck me as I read that this week is, it doesn't say he believed in God. It said he believed God. That's a difference, isn't it? You can say it with me. He believed God, not he believed in God. So in our giving, in our giving, do you believe God? In your generous lifestyle, do you believe God? Listen to this ver couple verses that I'm going to have up on the screen. This is the second half to the verse from the Old Testament that talks about cheating God. So he asked that question. He said, you're cheating me. Bring your whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Do you believe God? All right, we're going to start all over today. <laughs> Are you cheating God or do you believe God that he's going to do what he says? Believe God. Now look at this next one. Well, I'll get to you, Jackson. <laughs> New Testament. Give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and poured onto your lap. 
The amount you give will determine the amount you get back. Do you believe God? And then this last one. Back to the Proverbs. Honor God with everything you own. Main point from today. Give him the first and the best. If you do this, your barns will burst. Your wine vats will brim over. Do you believe God? So as you pledge this week, as you pray about, think of this illustration. We had the movie night here last night. And popcorn just, you know, I love, from a little seed to, and just keeps popping. So Jackson, start putting it in here. No, open it up. Come back here. Do you believe in a God? Show me how much you believe in a God that he'll give to you. Perfect. What's he going to do? If you give away, he's going to keep giving, and he keeps giving, and it just pops over. Do you believe God? Tithing. Hopefully you learned a little bit this morning. And sorry, Pastor Dave, he's looking at me like I'm going to kill you. <laughs> We're going to end with a song. All right, Jackson, thanks.